0: Welcome to the Modern Woodworkers Association, a podcast about woodworking from folk who woodwork. Woodworking is what we do, who we are, and what we like to talk about. So join us as we have a drink, sit around, and talk woodworking.
1: Hi, and welcome to the 333rd episode of the Modern Woodworkers Association podcast. I'm Kyle Barton. I'm here with my co-host, Sean Wisniewski and Mark Higgs. Today we're asking Jeff Lefkowitz the five questions. So welcome back to the show, Jeff.
2: Welcome back. Yep. <laughs>
1: well, let's get started. So, how did you get into woodworking?
2: Um, I was a graphic designer for a long time and I really really liked the the graphic design, although it was interesting work, it was not not fulfilling in many ways and mm-hmm. Most of what I did was had very short shelf life things, brochures, uh, catalogs, ads would all end up in the trash in short order. And it was you know it was mostly just, uh, even though the work was interesting and challenging, it was a lot of sitting in front of a computer, moving a mouse around. And I was really really uh, so in many ways it was not satisfying. So 2002, I renovated a shop. Uh, building on my property for a shop, and wanted to do some woodworking. I had no idea what. I've always liked wood, but mm-hmm. I had never really done any woodworking in in earnest. And um, started reading uh, magazines and websites and things like that. And came across uh, came across um, a Windsor Chair uh, School up in uh, New Hampshire, taught by Mike Dunbar and took my first class in 2003, and it's, I've been, I've been going, I've been doing chair making ever Ever since. since. Yep.
1: Yep, kind of like me, I took my first Windsor chair making class with Pete Galbert, and yeah, I haven't made much (laughs) besides chairs since then. Well, of course, now all I do is make jigs, but did you ever (laughs) make any um, flat work before you got into chairs? Like No, I
2: started, I started with chairs, which is actually really good. I didn't have to i didn't have to learn how to do all that flat and square stuff you know exactly (laughs) the hard stuff
3: i can't making is hard to shake it's once you get a taste of it it's really hard to do anything else (laughs) it is i mean
2: i talk to to students in my classes and i say well we're going to make this flat and square but it's you know it's chair making flat and square it's not (laughs) it's not you know real woodworking flat and square, you know? So <laughs> um, <clears throat> lots and lots of, in, in chair making, it, there's a lot of flexibility that, uh, or y- there's precision in some parts, but flat and square is not one of them. So it's really nice, really nice way to work wood.
3: Yes, yes it is. So uh, what's your favorite tool, Jeff?
2: Um, I've been thinking about that. I would have to say it's the spokeshave. Um, in particular, the, the bog spoke shaves, I have, I use two different versions of those, one with a flat bottom,
3: mm-hmm.
2: the curved bottom. Uh, they each have their, their, their place in shaping flat for flat and convex work and cur- the curved bottom to get into inside curves. And they're just beautiful tools. They're, they're really nicely made. They're well balanced. Um, they do what they're supposed to, and um, I I just really, really love using that tool, uh, and you can produce really beautiful, fine work with those, so ma um, that little Lee Nelson uh, block plane is probably a close second from The
3: little 102 apron plane?
2: Yeah, the little tiny one, the brass one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. I think yeah, I have one of those, I think it... Everyone I know has one of those.
0: <laughs> it's gotta be one of their they're both. I have sellers. I have a bog spoke shave, but I don't have that little plane, but it's, it's on my list. Yeah, I know.
3: <laughs> do you have the do you have the curved sole or the flat sole? I believe I have the flat sole. Oh um, no. You're gonna have to I buy mean, the other one too. <laughs> I need the <Yeah>. pair. <laughs> you can get by without the flat sole, but you can't get by without the curved sole. Really?
2: I, don't, I mean I this is me as not you, a
3: chairmaker. I almost never used my flat sole spoke shave. I started with the curve sole at um at the class with Jeff and I learned how to use that thing on inside curves and outside curves and I I just I didn't even buy the flat sole for like 3 years and then I finally thought, well, I should have it and now I it sits in my shelf in my in my uh, drawer and doesn't
2: get used. I think I
0: I think what saved me so far is that I very rarely have to make convex curves I if any if any uh, time I've been writing or concave yes I've made convex because I can just ride over that I oh you know or like I've rounded long edges you know and you can do that you know you know you're not helped by by having that 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 other face but uh, the rounded face but um, I I understand you know if and when I get into chair making I probably will necessarily need to have the curved bottom one but for now just the one and no, no plane. So I have, I actually, I have a gift card to Lee Nielsen someday. I'll just have to pick one or both of them up, you know, just to complete the set. There you exactly. go. <laughs> so anyway, Jeff, uh, so who has influenced you the most in your woodworking chair making?
2: Well, I, I would have to say Brian Boggs uh, primary influence, but um, uh, everything, you know, I've, I've really learned a lot from him in terms of, thinking how how to think about chairs and design and um he's brilliant at at uh jig making and coming up with processes that um, make doing complex tasks simple um <clears throat> so and and I I love his I love his uh chair designs and the 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 ladder back chairs in particular um and you know I think they're classics and um, so he, he's been a, a huge influence on how I work and I've been, uh, my primary focus in teaching is teaching other people how to make those chairs that Brian, Brian has designed. Uh, I would, I would add into that mix, of course, um, Curtis, Curtis Buchanan and Pete Galbert. Um, and I think one of the things that they, they all have in common is that in addition to being extraordinary craftspeople in their own each in their own way they're also really good designers and um that's what that's what um that's what drew the design of the chair that is what drew me to um brian initially and to and to uh, curtis and pete as well so um, but brian for sure has mm. the most direct influence on on what i've been doing
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it was I mean, some years ago, but we on our way down through Kentucky, we stopped in Berea, and um, I actually went into Brian's, for, uh, well, his shop, his front shop area, and yeah, those just like in the magazines, those things are beautiful pieces what he makes, and they're definitely definitely inspiring. Probably why I got the spoke I have, honestly. <laughs> yeah,
2: and and you know, like Curtis is not the same kind of designer as Brian is but he, he's got a great eye. And oh, yeah. mm-hmm. this, yeah. one of the things that really impressed me is when we were doing version, different versions of the continuous armchair, we've got five different versions that we made plans for. And as you go from, uh, so there, there's a, the, this, the continuous arm adult chair, and then there's a um, rocker. So those two are basically the same. But then there's a uh, continuous arm high chair, and then a continuous arm youth chair. And as you scale those chairs from full size down to two-thirds size, you don't you don't really you scale the the large dimensions, but you don't scale some of the smaller dimensions. Like like you don't you wouldn't scale the the diameters of the legs for instance or the spindles because they would all get too small right and mm-hmm. he he would he would fuss about the size of these parts on these smaller chairs and if you look at the um the the continuous arm youth chair is really a, a duplicate two-third size of the continuous arm adult chair in overall dimension but the parts are not the same. Uh, the, the parts are not reduced by two-thirds, but there's no formula for reducing them a specific amount. It's just all by eye. And um, it, it, it really, it's not something you would notice right away that he's done this, but it's it's really um, impressive to see the thinking behind um, behind all that. And even the difference between the, the youth chair on the high chair because the high chair is taller and has heavier legs than the youth chair he did he made some changes even though from the seat up it's the same size as the youth chair it's things in that uh, youth chair in, in that high chair are scaled a little differently than mm-hmm. the chair because the overall size of the chair is taller so it's it's really It really takes a keen eye to look at that and come up with proportions that are pleasing and at the same time keep the uh, spirit of that chair the same across that entire family of chairs. So it's, um, it's, it's design, the design that he's done is different than the way, you know, compared to what Brian has done with chair design, but Imp- very impressive nonetheless mm-hmm.
1: i'm sure very practical too because you're talking yeah youth and children in these chairs are going to take a lot of abuse
2: uh yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. so and we're going to be adding to that continuous arm uh we're going to be doing a continuous arm settee uh plans so we're, we're going to be adding to that family uh very very shortly
1: well, fantastic! Yeah,
2: because that's one
1: thing that is not out there on the uh, market, quote unquote market, that I've seen as a plans for a settee.
2: I think we're I think we're going to start with the continuous arm and the sackback, mm-hmm. and do those, and um, and I'm sure we'll do others. Yeah.
3: So, Jeff, what
2: what has been your biggest stumbling block? <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was trying to think of something and I would say probably, um, am really, really, really good at procrastinating. And, um, <laughs> I, I like to think that I'm very disciplined, but in reality, if I don't have a deadline, I, I, <laughs> I don't work as hard as I, I feel like I should. So, um,
1: I think that's part of the human <laughs> conditions at some
2: point, <laughs> which is why graphic design was a great business to be in because there are constant deadlines. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm really great with a deadline, but I'm not so like getting ready for a class. I'm, I'm all over it, but if I don't have a deadline, I'm really good at wasting time. So that's <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's been to me that's you know not not doing as much as you could. You know, well, so
3: sometimes sometimes when you're procrastinating, like really great things come out of it. So, like, what's the best thing that's come out of your procrastination?
2: Well, you know, like I, I do work on when I'm working on plans, for instance, I do something and I have this kind of gut feeling that it's not quite right. And, you know, I, I'm sitting there working on it for a few hours and I, I, I go away from it. And but I haven't stopped thinking about it and eventually i say oh i should try this and it's it's usually a good solution you know it's usually if i have a gut feeling about something but um cannot cannot really come up with a solution eventually i will and um so i'm i'm thinking about these things as i'm as i'm not doing anything you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah sleep on it yeah uh, yeah, sleep on it. I mean, li- literally, and um, and that that's another part of um, making these plans as as good as they can be is that if if I have a sense that I'm not satisfied with it, I'll keep working on it until it's until I'm happy with it. I, I just won't let something out unless I really feel really feel good about it.
3: Okay. <clears throat>
0: Not bad. So last uh, last question, but uh, a good one. How has the Internet influenced your work? You were getting in chair making right as the Internet was really exploding. So I'm kind of
2: curious. Well, you know, it let me it let me um, find, uh, you know, I don't know that I would take in that chair class unless I was able to go. The only reason I knew about it was because of this tiny little ad in the back of fine woodworking.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that probably would not have been enough to get me to take the plunge to take that class with Mike Dunbar. But going to his website <laughs> and poring over that w- was enough. And um, so without without that, without the website and the Internet, I don't know whether I would have uh, started chair making. And for. um for promoting your work, there's just nothing like it. When I was doing weaving and going to craft fairs, that was all you could do. That was the only way to reach people. And with with the internet and social media, I can reach... I've become friends with people all over the world, chairmakers all over the world, and have been able to reach people in a way that would have been impossible 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really... Chairmaking is a real niche, and but if you're if the whole world is your audience, there's going to be enough people that have that common interest. And and what I've tried to do with my blog and with my with my Instagram feed is to show is to do things that show people how how things are made. You know, talk about not just show a pretty picture of something, but talk about process and how, how you make things and, um, why you do do this one way or another way and essentially, um, uh, <clears throat> demonstrating or trying to demonstrate expertise. And when, when you do that, either in, in, in in the blog, in my blog on my website, I'm able to do that in great detail and on the, uh, on Instagram in, in smaller pieces. But when you demonstrate, uh, expertise then people are more likely to then want to take classes that's been my that's been my kind of low-key marketing approach which suits me really really well
3: it worked for me yeah that's not bad <laughs> i was i was silently stalking his blog for like a year
0: downloading
3: <laughs> and saving all of the articles i was like i'm by the time he's done i'll just be able to build this thing by myself no problems i'll figure these jigs out yeah. <laughs> and finally, I just said, I'll oh, just, I'm just going to go take a class. I, <laughs> this guy's put so much work in, you know, and, but I, so that interests me, uh, as sort of a side conversation is the, I think I, I wish people would understand the value of just, just putting your knowledge out there. Um, it's not costing you anything, right? You, once you give it to somebody else, you both have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's not you don't lose it by giving it away. And no,
2: you gain not- gain by it. I mean, think about what Curtis has done with with his videos. I mean, right. He's giving away all this information, but it's his classes are full every every year. They fill up yeah. immediately and he sells plans. And, um, you know, it's I mean, he's given all this stuff away, but look how much he gets back.
3: And mm-hmm. well, and the people that the people that can't afford your class will never come to your class. You are not losing them as a customer by teaching them on the internet. Right. And the people who can't afford it will want to come and see you because you're the person who knows. Right. Um and you're the person who shared and who was, you know, generous enough to give it away.
2: And and you still want you still want to reach in some way the people that can't afford it. And right. And by giving it away, you're, you're able to do that. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, so it's not just about blatant self-promotion. It, it's it's really about sharing, and I find that very rewarding. And I every now and then, I come across someone that contacts me for one reason or another and says, they've read my blog start to finish. You know, they've printed out <laughs> every article. You know, they have a binder 300 pages thick, you know. <laughs> yep. And, you know, it's like, oh. And, and this is all, this all goes on without my, for the most part, without my knowing it, you know, I just, I don't pay attention to page views or anything like that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I haven't looked at it in a long time, but I do get, I know people are going to that website, even though I have not been really been updating it and, and they're very consistent, um, page views, but I don't do anything I don't make decisions based on is this going to increase uh, increase the page views or anything like that. I don't I don't I don't make decisions on that based on that. My my prime motivation is to provide um, good information about chair making. That's it. There you and, go. And as a consequence, I do end up getting some students, but uh, <laughs> it, it's it's not a. I don't know how to how to say it. I'm, I'm not I'm not I'm not really trying to sell anyone on anything.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's usually what so sells. That it, suits so. me very well.
2: And that
0: yeah, and that that <laughs> makes plenty of sales just yeah. <laughs> by by that own virtue.
1: Well, with that, um, so Jeff, where can, uh, should folks want to read your blog and uh, be influenced to taking one of your classes? Uh, where can they find?
0: you
2: yeah um my uh, website is uh jeff lefkowitz chairmaker.com and within that there's a uh, on the blog tab there's a side chair build archive which is essentially a table of contents to all of the articles about building building the bog side chair at which i'm at i have not finished that and i haven't added a blog post in a long time but Someday, I'll, fin- I'll finish that up. <laughs> and then on Instagram at Jeff Leftquartz. Fantastic. Mark, where can folks find you?
3: Well, if you would like to be subtly influenced into buying a workbench or taking a class, <laughs> uh, you can follow my blog at plate11.com or uh, on Instagram at Mark Builds markbuildsit. Um, I try to keep the content a little bit different on those two. So there, there is a reason to follow both. And then um, anything I post that's a video goes to YouTube as well at uh, plate eleven woodworking dot, or plate eleven woodworking on YouTube. Yeah, and you've you, been Sean? quite
1: active on the uh, YouTube channel here. It's recently. gonna
3: it's gonna start get once the uh, once these kits ship and yep. I start filming. There's gonna be sharpening. There's gonna be tool setup. There's gonna be a lot of stuff coming out all at once. So. Oh. I'm not gonna be disciplined and just, you know, release one thing a week. It's just gonna when it's done, it goes on the internet.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs>
0: Algorithms be damned, buckle I up, Mark. So if it's <laughs> useful, it should be available.
1: <laughs> Excellent. So Sean, where can folks find you?
0: Yeah, I'm on most every social media you can find. Uh Sean W seventy eight. Kyle, how about you?
1: Uh, you can always find me at Barton.Kyle on Instagram. And with that, that just about wraps it up for this show. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on the podcatcher of your choice. Just search for the Modern Woodworkers Association. And while you're there, please leave us a review.
3: And we really appreciate you listening. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at mwa_podcast. podcast. Uh, but really, the best thing you can do to uh, help us out is... Find a woodworker and tell them about the podcast and then encourage them to do the same.